0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis this morning, the book of Genesis, chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to begin reading. In Genesis 37, at verse 18, we're going to look at the story of Joseph briefly this morning. If you respond. If you don't respond, we're going to look at it longer. Amen. Clap your hands. Just act like you're still awake. Instead of nodding, go like this. It says, Genesis 37, beginning with verse 18. Now when they saw him, speaking of Joseph, afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill them. And they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild animal or beast has devoured him. We shall see what becomes of his dreams. But Reuben heard of it. And he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors, that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. They sat down to eat a meal and lifted up their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites, also called Midianites, coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on the way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judas said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come now, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and and let not, not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. The midnight traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelite for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And when Reuben returned, he finds out what they've done. And to cover it up, to make the story a little bit shorter, they rip his coat to shreds, kill a young goat, dip the blood in it, take it back to his daddy and said, is this his coat? He identifies the coat and he mourns um, for Joseph, Jacob does. And verse 36 continues the story when it says, Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for this morning for a good crowd we have all gathered lord to worship you so father by the power of your holy spirit let nothing interfere with that calm our hearts and our minds lord give us minds to understand and ears to hear and hearts to obey you this morning and father just remove those things that would hinder that let your word go forth in power and accomplish what you intended i pray especially for those who need to make spiritual decisions this morning, Lord? Some need to accept Christ publicly as their Lord and Savior. Some need to come in rededication. Some need to come and join the church by baptism or, or letter or statement. But Lord, you have your way with us. And when we leave this place, not only will we say it's good to be in your house, but we will praise you for allowing us to be here. For it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. My Aunt Ginger was a a uh, special lady, uh, my dad's middle sister. Uh, she lived up to her name. She was a redhead, Ginger. Uh, she, uh, I didn't get to see her very often. She lived in Seattle, Washington, and she would come, and we'd see her at family reunions occasionally. And then, and then one time she came and visited just us. And the reason I was so interested in her is because her face just glowed. She smiled all the time, which for my dad's family was a little unusual. <laughs> but she had this, this peaceful look. She just glowed, and and I, I knew her story. And I couldn't figure out, how did she do that? You see, Aunt Ginger had married somewhere between 15 and 16 years of age. She had married an older man, about 26, 27, something like that. And unbeknownst to her, he was an alcoholic. They got married. He beat her regularly. Uh, The first child, probably because of the beatings, was stillborn, okay? Uh, The second child died at about three of meningitis or something of that nature. Life just became harder and harder. Uh, The man she was married to died. Uh, She had a couple of other children that grew to adulthood and she got her first round of cancer and in that day there wasn't as many treatments and so she lost all of her red hair and then she got better and got her second round of cancer and had to do that again and somehow God healed her and through that there she was sitting in our living room smiling there she was glowing and I said Aunt Ginger tell me about your life and I knew the story, and she recounted it pretty much as I told you. But the one thing she added was, I don't know why I'm happy. They tell me I shouldn't be happy, but they don't know my Jesus. She said, life didn't turn out like I expected. Life was much harder than I expected. Life even disappointed me on several fronts. But she said, Jesus was there through it all. She was really the first one in my dad's family that knew Christ as Savior and had for a long time been saved in a Baptist church in Seattle. And she said, Gary, if you'll let him, Jesus will put the same look on your face and the same smile in your heart. Now, I deal with a lot of people as a pastor. That's my job. The hardest ones to me are the ones who say, life's not fair. They're the ones who come in and they're disillusioned with what life has dealt them. I don't belittle their pain. I'm not making light of it. Life is hard. But what are we supposed to do when life literally disappoints us? And I think from the life of Joseph, we get some... I hope, principles that are eternal to help us this morning. And if you boiled it down in a nutshell, it would be this. We need to turn our disappointments over to Jesus, trusting Him in all of those circumstances. We need to turn our disappointments over to Jesus, trusting Him in those circumstances that make life difficult, hard disappointing and so what advice do we learn from joseph first one is this i'm going to tell it to you and i want you to practice it don't listen to the enemy now did you hear that don't listen to the enemy we forget that we're in a spiritual battle Paul in the New Testament tells us we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness, the powers and rulers of this age. The prince of the air, the devil himself, and his demons fight against us. Paul describes him as a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he may devour, attack. Guess what? We're his prime prey. And so my advice, and I think Scripture's advice is, don't listen to him. What do I mean by that? In the life of Joseph, we find out some things. The first thing is the facts of Psalm 105, verse 17, 18. If you're taking notes, tell us a little bit about Joseph. It says, he sent a man before them. Speaking of Joseph, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they hurt his feet with fetters, they laid him in irons of the time until his word came to pass. What are the facts of Joseph's life? Recount them with me. Joseph is the 11th son of 12. He is his daddy Jacob's favorite. He's not supposed to take over the family business, but rather than going out and doing the work, daddy keeps him home and teaches him how to keep the books and do the other things. He's going to take it over because that's what daddy wants. Daddy loves him so much, he gives him a coat of many colors. and We have songs about that. And he wants him to parade around like a peacock and say, I am the loved one. He is proud. He is spoiled. He's a little bit arrogant in the sense that when God gives him dreams about his future, he sees everybody's sickle bowing down to him. And then he sees even the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him, and his mama and his daddy are going to bow to him. Now, it's one thing to have those dreams when God gives them to you, but it's another to brag about them to your family that they're going to bow down to you. If you can imagine, it did not sit well with his brothers. That's why when he approaches, they said, Look, the dreamer cometh. He's a dreamer. Those are the facts of his life up till this point of who he is. But notice the facts turn into feelings. Now, here's what I mean. Joseph seemed to have it all. We would say that. He's young. His daddy is wealthy. He's going to get the lion's share of the inheritance. And he's proud. But yet, they put him in a pit, strip off his favored coat of many colors, uh, when they see the Ishmaelites and Midianites, those are interchangeable, they call them both in the New Testament, it's the same race of people, coming, heading to Egypt to sell wares, his brother Judas, oh, let's not kill him, let's sell him as a slave. What a difference would that make? Think about it. The dreamer goes from a prince to a pauper. He goes from the privileged to the persecuted. And don't you know, That Satan was whispering in his ear the whole time that he's there as a slave in Potiphar and then in prison. What happened to your dreams now, boy? Where's your God now, Joseph? Why don't you just get with it and realize he's abandoned you? He doesn't really love you. You're a slave. Slaves have no rights. You're stuck here forever till the master decides to sell you or kill you. And it gets worse. You see, because he goes to Potiphar's house, you remember the story? God blesses him to Potiphar, trust him to take care of everything. Potiphar's name is not a normal Egyptian name. It means a gift from Ra, which was the chief god of Egypt. So he was considered a gift to Pharaoh and was the head of Pharaoh's bodyguards, is what the words mean. So he's a wealthy man, and and he's got lots of power, and there Joseph is taking care of his house. And you remember the story? His wife looks at him and says, Hmm, good young Jewish boy. (laughs) And she tries to get him to commit adultery. He won't have any part of it. He runs out of the house doing his daily duties, trying to get away from her. He's wearing his tunic. She grabs it and takes it off and keeps it when the husband comes home, when Potiphar comes home. Look, this Jewish boy did to me. He tried to do something bad to me. And here's his coat. I screamed and he ran and left it. Totally innocent. He's thrown into the depths of the worst prison in Egypt. What happened to your dreams now, Joseph? Where are you at now, Joseph? Joseph, you maintained your integrity, Joseph. But what did God do for you? You did the right thing. You were just trying to be right with God. You said, no, I cannot sin against my God this way. And look where he let you go. You're not only a slave. You're a slave in the worst prison in the dungeons of Egypt, a foreigner. But you see... There was fruit there. Fruit that maybe Joseph didn't even realize. Now what do I mean by fruit? Now in that situation, it could have broken him. It could have broken all of us. Everybody go like this and you're going to respond because you want out on time, right? It could have made him bitter. He could have blamed God. I'm just trying to serve you and look what happens. I mean, everything went to in a handbasket. I didn't say the word I wanted to say because this was looking at me like don't say that (laughs) he could have been mad at God mad at his brothers he could have blamed everybody it's everybody's fault but his own but you see God was at work molding him into what he needed to become he had a lot to learn before God could trust him with what God intended for him to do in Egypt See, we know the end of the story, and we think, oh, that's such a good story. Joseph didn't know the end when he was going through it. And if he would listened to the enemy, he'd have thrown his hands, give up, and died in that prison. He would have gotten bitter and said, life's not fair. God doesn't love me. But I want to tell you something. Was it fair for the king of kings and the Lord of lords, to leave all of heaven's splendor and walk sinful sod for you and me. Was it fair for him to be called vile names, spat upon, beard plucked out, a crown of thorns put on his head, totally innocent, hung on a cross and killed for my sin and for your sin? Everybody say no. I got news for you. Jesus meant it when he said these words. In the world, you will have trouble, but be not afraid. I've overcome the world. Do we understand that? You see, do we let the enemy talk us into feelings we shouldn't have? God's just not fair. He doesn't love me. He settled that, y'all. Get off that kick. I don't have patience with it anymore. I'm now 57, and I'm old enough to say, stop it. I'm not being uncompassionate. I'm not trivializing problems, but I want to tell you something. Jesus spread His arms and died to prove He loved us. He prepared heaven for us. He loves us. He sent His Holy Spirit to reside within us. He loves us. He gave His Word to guide us. He loves us. He said he wants to give us peace and joy in the midst of the storms and circumstances that batter us. He loves us. So if you're here this morning, maybe you're in one of those storms. I'm not trivializing. They're serious. They're awful. But let me tell you something that doesn't change the love of God for you and for me one bit. My Uncle Dickie, was one of the finest Christian men I ever knew. He served as a deacon his whole adult life. And life didn't always go the way it should have. Uncle Dick was a mechanical engineer, so proud to graduate from Fayetteville with that degree. He worked his way up to number three in his company in Hot Springs. Everything looked secure for his future until the CEO ran off with all the money, the company went bankrupt, and he was out of a job. In his mid-40s. Took him a year to find a job. Almost lost their house. The only way they saved it, he had to move his whole family to South Carolina to find a job. Because you see, those engineers with experience cost more than those coming straight out of school. So he serves his church there. Everything seems to be going. That company closes. He moves back to Hot Springs, starts his own business. I can keep going on and on about this. But at every turn, life was threatening him. The last five years of his life, Uncle Dick suffered greatly. He had that narrowing, that stenosis of the spine. He drug his leg everywhere he went with a smile on his face. They never could figure out what was wrong with his lungs. He had some kind of lung infection from serving, I guess, on a ship in Vietnam. It wasn't cancer, but he couldn't breathe. He couldn't breathe and not get enough oxygen made part of his intestines die, and he had to have that colostomy bag on the outside everywhere he went. And yet he continued to serve. He prayed with his pastor almost daily at the church, everywhere at his funeral. I was so proud to hear how he touched that pastor's life. He had done that his whole life. He watched out for him. He would tell me every time I talked with him, Gary, I pray for you every day. And he died looking forward to glory. Don't tell me about life's disappointments. I've experienced them. You've experienced them. Either get better or get better. Because one of the two is going to happen. And if you don't have a storm yet, You will. If you haven't experienced some bitterness yet, you will. Brother Gary, that's a terrible negative attitude. No. It's the reality of the sinful world we live in. But there's good news. There's better news. Just quit listening to the enemy. Quit being guilty of stinking thinking. Okay? Understand something. I don't understand all the ways of God. and Anybody that tells you they do is a liar. We cannot comprehend the wonder of our Savior and the beauty of our God and His holiness. And He always does what's best for us because we are His children. Quit listening to the enemy. You see, He sees... Infinity, we see finitely. You see, even in slavery, even in prison, he didn't give up. He still trusted God. So that leads me to the second point. Don't listen to the enemy. The second point is this. Allow God freedom to transform you. Allow God freedom to transform you. Now, what do I mean by all that? See, the practical is this. I said it before. Joseph had a lot to learn before God could handle, before he could handle what God wanted to do with his life. I got news for you. We're not even better than Joseph. A lot of us have some things that we only learn through suffering. A lot of us have things we only learn through the trials of this life. But they make us better Christians able to serve our God in a better way. So I don't like that. Take it up with the man that created you. The God that we say we serve. Jesus. Here's what I mean. There's some precepts here. Do you realize that these things that can make us bitter, that sort of disappoint us, the first thing they can do, they can teach us to handle our pride. See, Joseph had a lot of pride. If we admit it, we have a lot of pride. You see, Joseph, wearing that coat of many colors, he had to tell all his brothers these dreams. I mean, duh. Don't, don't rub people's noses in it. You know, don't be so prideful. Though it never happened to me. You know, I, I'm blessed to God. I, well, I'm glad you're blessed to God. Praise God for it. Don't rub people's noses in it. That's pride. God deals with pride. Pride cometh before the fall. Yep, God deals with the haughty. I don't mean H-O-T-T-I-E either. It's Why? Haughty means prideful. When you look at that story, all those things that Joseph was so proud of, God stripped away. Some of us have things that we're proud and God needs to strip them away so that we realize we are really nothing without Him. Let me tell you a way pride comes in that people don't think of it. Brother Gary, I don't deserve this. All I'm trying to do is serve God. Really? I don't deserve this? Well, I agree you're good people and you don't deserve it, but I want to tell you something. If we got what we deserve, we wouldn't have been saved. You know what the Bible says? The wages of sin is what? That's what we deserve because we're sinners. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord it's a gift it's a grace gift it's a love gift we didn't get what we deserved and we ended up in hell we got what we didn't deserve The God's only son came perfectly lived died on the cross in our place rose from the dead and said one day I'm coming back for you that's not what we deserve but that's what we get in the time between then and right now There's going to be some things that happen that we don't like, but it strips away our pride. I don't get what I deserve either. I get so much more than I deserve. If I got what I deserved, it would be really, really bad. And if you'll be honest and remove some pride from your heart, it would do the same for you also. Well, don't you know who I am? Yeah, so does God. That's the problem. So it deals with our pride. Let's go on. It helps us to handle our temptations. I mean, I want you to think about it. Here is a young man. Scholars think he could be anywhere from 17 to 20 in Potiphar's house. A young man. He's a slave. He's risen to run the whole household. Everything is entrusted to him, and Potiphar's lovely wife wants him to do something evil. There's temptation. And day after day after day, she came to him and bugged him. He had no peace. He couldn't get away from it. And yet he said, I can't do that to my God. A slave. What's your God done for you, Joseph? You're a slave. He took you out of all that you had and gave you nothing. You're a slave. If Potiphar comes home today and you displease him, you're gone. And it happened. But you see, it, it, it taught Joseph to handle temptation, all those adversities. Why? Because he was going to rise. Remember, the only one who was more powerful than him in all of Egypt was Pharaoh. What a temptation. Man, Potiphar, you're going to die. <laughs> That'd been me. Your wife is going to get it. My brothers, when they show up, are going to get it. That jailer who mistreated me, he's going to get it. Those guys who left me in prison, they're going to get it. What would your temptation have been to be the second most powerful nation in the most powerful nation on earth at that time? What kind of temptations would it have been? Wealth. Drugs, yeah, the Egyptians did that. Women, they did that. I mean, you go on and on, whatever your temptation might be, all the little goodies to keep you from serving God. (laughs) He had already been tested in the fire to learn how to handle temptation. When he got to the top, he was ready, but he couldn't get to the top till he crawled up from the bottom. That's what life's disappointments teach us is how to handle temptation. The temptation to blame God. The temptation to blame others. The temptation to be mad at life. The temptation to be mad at others. Let's go on. They teach us to live humbly. If you're taking notes, Genesis 42. I'm going to read this a little bit. Joseph's brothers have shown up. He says, don't come back unless you bring your youngest, because they tell him about it. It says, and they did so. When they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. And we would not hear, therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, saying, I not speak to you, saying, do not sin against the boy. You wouldn't listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. They didn't know that Joseph understood them and he spoke to them through an interpreter and he turned himself away and wept and returned to them again and talked to them. He took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. They think they're getting their just due. See, he's going to lavish gifts upon them. He had all the power to take vengeance, but he's living humbly because he realizes God is up to something. He's about to have a family reunion. Would he have been humble enough to do that if he hadn't gone through being a slave in Potiphar's house and unjustly accused, if he hadn't been sold into slavery, if he hadn't been in the prison dungeon? Would he have been humble enough to handle that? No. God deals with our pride, but he also doesn't deal with our pride. He teaches us how to live after he starts dealing with our pride, how to live humbly. Paul said it this way in the New Testament. He said, consider others better than yourselves. He said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Uh, Y'all, that's just the opposite of what American society teaches us. They want to talk about self-esteem and they want to talk about be whatever you want to be and, and do it no matter what harm you cause to others. Just go for it. No. That is ungodly advice. It doesn't lead to happiness. It leads to harm. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, is what James says. We can go on. It teaches us pride to deal with our pride or temptations, to live humbly, and it also teaches us to see God's hand at work. You see, in Genesis 45, we finally come towards the end of the story. In 45, verse 1, it says, "...Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. He cried out, Make everyone go out from me! No one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, And the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it!" You see, he's crying out in anguish. He's crying out in joy. His brothers who had done this are standing before him. "...Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live?" But his brothers could not answer them, and they were dismayed in his presence. They should have been. What did they do to him? But you see, God had transformed him. And what he ends up telling them is this. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the lord of his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me now, tarry not. He said, You meant it for evil. God meant it for good you went to destroy me god meant to send me here not for my benefit but for yours so there would be a remnant left there's only been two years of this famine now there's gonna be five more years it's going to get worse you come down here and let me take care of you god had transformed him so that he could see god's hand at work i want to tell you something i want you to listen very closely if you don't see the hand of god working in your life one of two things is happening Either you're not God's child, did you hear me? Or your tuner is not tuned correctly. Now I said it last week. If I said, how many things blue in this room can you see? Look around and see how many blue things you see. Y'all aren't doing it, and we're going to stop till I see heads moving. You're going to pretend like you're doing it anyway. Somebody tell me, how many blue things do you see in the room? Two. Two, five. Okay, how many green things do you see in the room? Okay, y'all, I'll give you a hint. I'm green, okay? How many more do you see? There's one. Da, 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 okay. You didn't notice that when you came in, but when you start getting your mind acclimated right, you see it. I said it's just like you buy a car. It did not have to be a brand new car, but it's new to you. Suddenly you notice everybody else is driving that mega car, or even that color car. When you start asking God to show you, you'll see his hand at work if you're his child when you start setting your minds on the things of God rather than the things of this earth, you'll see God's hand at work in your life, even in the midst of difficulties. The last thing, because I'm sure time is slipping away, allow God's grace to give you His victory. Now, did you hear that? His victory. It's not all the way we planned it. It's not all we want. But he gives us victory. Now, see, Helen Keller said it this way. I thank God for my handicaps. She was deaf and blind. For it was them that I found myself, my work, and most importantly, my God. And I praise him every day for my handicaps. That sort of rattled my cage a little bit. If it doesn't rattle yours, something's wrong with your cage. Tape your ears shut, plug them up, cover your eyes where you can't see for about four hours and see what a difference that makes in your life. And she's praising God for that? Yes, she did. So what's the principle with him? You see, there's a preparation. You see, Joseph's prepared for even greater service. He starts out in Potiphar's house. He goes to the prison. He rises up to the to, to the prison uh guy that runs a prison trust him he's he's doing that he meets the baker and and who was the other one okay the two servants of pharaoh let's go on and and he tells them one of you is oh the the guy the cupbearer he says one of you is going to die and the other one's going to live when it comes to pass the cupbearer forgets it. when pharaoh has these bad dreams he remembers joseph they bring him clean him up he gives pharaoh the answer through god pharaoh raises him up and says you prepare for this famine now That's the preparation that he went through, but what was the promise? You see, how in the world do you get a Jewish shepherd, a Jewish boy, to be number two in the most powerful land in all the world? By God's will, by God's purposes. By God's victory. God was saving Abraham's seed just as he promised to do. The promises are there for us if we'll look. Do we not know that? I'm going to read you some stuff you know. Maybe you've failed to remember. Romans 8.18. Paul says this. I want you to listen to it. You don't have to look it up. Write it down. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, sufferings, you got that word, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We can go on. Our favorite verses. Verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession with us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He who searches the hearts and minds knows the Spirit because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that God's help? For we know that all things work together for good to those who... Who love God to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What shall we say to these things? All the suffering, all the things that are going on in life. He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. and is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. What shall we say to these things, brethren? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Y'all should be rocking. Come on. Let's go with it you get it? Come on. He says, that is written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through them who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Which is in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. That's God's transforming victory. I didn't say he'd bail us all out. I didn't say he'd make the circumstances go away. I said he'd be with us in the midst of us. Because we are still winners. There's a hymn in our hymnal. Written by Horatio G. Spafford. Spafford's family was traveling to England. Halfway across, they sunk in the ocean from New York City. He got the telegram. He didn't know what else to do but go to England. He talked to the captain. When they got to the approximate place, the last place they knew the ship was where it sunk, the captain slowed it to almost a stop. And he stood on the deck and he watched the waves up and down and knew this is where his loved ones had breathed their last. What do you say in a situation like that? He lost his wife and all his kids. What do you say in a situation like that? Here's what he said. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul, it is well, my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Some of you have lost your your song. Life is hard. But you see, from the depths of despair, the song starts. From the darkness of disillusionment, it strengthens. From a loss that is devastating, faith rises. And your song of faith says, I trust you, Jesus. Some of you need to come and lay some of those burdens at the altar. Life is so scary, it has battered you. It's not fair. And let the God of hope and love minister to your soul as you lay those burdens down. Some of you need to come in rededication. You've forgotten the God that wants to help you. You've mocked Him literally saying, oh, is there really a God? And deep down you know the answer to that and you need to repent of that. Some need to come back and say, I want to live for you. I want my song back, Jesus. Some need to come and accept Christ as Lord and Savior. You don't have hope because you don't know our Savior. Some so I need to come and join the church and put your life and work where God would have you. We're going to stand after I pray. We're going to sing a hymn or two of invitation. And you come as God has spoken to you this morning. Father God, you are here. You promised to be here. It's holy ground because you are with us. Let us do your will. You receive the glory that you so richly deserve. And let us respond to you in a way that would please you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. And God's people stood up.